Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. American needs individuals who not only recognize that righteousness exalted the nation, but sins are reproach to any people. Hello and welcome to of God and man, the show that we always hope will get better, but never does. <laughs> this is your host, Brom French. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at 210-854-8029, or you can reach me by email at the letter B, the letter F, the at sign, B-R-A-H-M. F-R-E-N-C-H dot com. That is BF at Bromfrench dot com. So today, that's right, today we've got my daughter, Brianna French, who is, uh, you don't know what you believe until you've heard Brianna speak. And we're going to be talking about the fourth Republican Mm -hmm. debate. How are you doing, Brianna? Good. Good, good, good. So we all want to know what we should Uh, think what our views should be and so we've got you and uh, (laughs) you remind me very much of myself because uh, you know by the fact we have opinions we believe our opinions are right Mm. (laughs) oh you crack me up Mm -hmm. so what are your thoughts on this uh, Republican debate I think that it was one of my favorites simply because Rand managed to show a little better on this one True, true. Rand did. I think this probably for him was his best debate yet. Yeah, I agree. Let me back up a little bit. uh, Is there anybody else besides Rand? I I know, obviously, we all know that you're rooting for Rand. Is there anybody besides Rand that you'd like to talk about? (laughs) Uh, Ben Carson, though, obviously. I, I can't get over his monetaries, the minimum wage, but he did make a good point. He said at one point, there's something special about this nation and we must embrace it and never give it away for the sake of political correctness. Yes, yes, that was part of his closing speech, which was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. They uh, they were saying that, his close, that he had the best closing speech out of all of them. So, uh, let me run down some of them real quick and give you just my pointers. And if there's anything you want to throw in, uh, go ahead. I think Christie looked and sounded a lot like a leader, um, which is, you know, I, we had talked about this. I don't remember. I think it was the second debate that we're disappointed because uh, we really don't want Christie. <laughs> but, and the other sad thing for me was Bobby Jindal. Um, I like Bobby Jindal's views. But I was most disappointed in the debate with him because I had higher expectations. And the whole debate, all he did was attack Christie. And while he's attacking Christie, Christie's saying, I like Bobby's record. Bobby was a great governor. You know, and he's praising Bobby while Bobby's tearing down Christie, making Christie look presidential while Bobby looks like a crybaby and just wanting to attack. I don't think uh, Jindal did himself any favors. Uh, you got any thoughts on that? How? I don't. I don't think he did himself any favors in the way that there were really no um, quotable things that he really said last night. That's true. That's true. Now, Mike Huckabee did a pretty good job. I think he had a good showing. Um, you know, he didn't. Uh, he didn't say anything that would destroy him. 
<laughs> Santorum. Uh, Santorum took a little while to warm up. Um, he came off as unsure about himself at first, and uh, I don't think he did himself any favors either, to be honest. But, you know, he's one of the ones you talked about, Carson wanting to raise minimum wage. That's Santorum as well. And, uh, yeah. so, you know, I'm not a fan of his uh, or a fan of raising a minimum wage or anybody that wants to do that, for crying out loud. Now, Kusik or Kasich, I guess his name's Kasich. Did you check that guy out? That guy looks and sounds like a whining child. Please let yeah. me talk. Let me talk. And he monopolized the first part of the second debate. And then I've got to wonder, why is the guy even on the second debate stage? He should be. He should have been at the kids' table. The guy's a loser. You know? Oh, and did you get the... Uh, there were boos when he was talking about the government needs to bail out banks. <laughs> I love this. Finally, uh, conservatives are speaking out in the Republican Party. It's about time. Yes. Uh, a lot of people just thought he was too aggressive in his approach. Kasich, he just he didn't make any good points. He just whined. The time he got was him whining. <laughs> about getting no time yes yes when they finally get to you you capitalize on it and, and mm -hmm. instead he just makes himself look like a baby and then continually tries to interrupt others and he just like I said he he didn't do himself any favors um, Bush and unfortunately Bush thinks that yesterday's politics wins today's elections mm. you know uh, he thinks that Everything that happened when his brother and his father were running for president is the same scenario that it is now. And I believe times have changed. You know, this, yeah. this is not the same America it was under either of the other two Bushes. And you cannot, uh, you can't esteem and, and try to get people to believe the same, uh, the same things. You know, we, we have changed as a nation. And I agree. Yeah. I think Paul did very well. Um, he, he definitely did not harm himself, I don't believe. Mm -hmm. um, now, Cruz, the, got any thoughts on Cruz? Um, I think I do. I have this stuff written. <laughs> uh, he did make a quote where he said, We'll win following Ronald Reagan's admonition to paint in bold colors. And he... Unfortunately, I think, was it him or was it Rubio? No. Marco, okay. Cruz made good comments on, you know, the, with the fact of he wants anything to do with Ronald Reagan is good to me. Anyway. <laughs> so, I'm like, yeah, that's good. But then, everything comes up with military spending, and I just... I don't like spending, yeah. so... Well, uh, um, I think what Cruz is getting at, you know, he doesn't want a weak military, and, you know, honestly, yeah. that, that is one of, was one of Reagan's strongest points, you know, uh, you have to have a strong military, of course, you have to have a strong economy, which means you've got to cut spending in other places so that you can afford to have a strong military. You know, you can't just have a strong military while the government has got its fingers and everything. That's why the Soviet Union fell. Yeah. Uh, now, Cruz did have one of my favorite quotes of the night was from Cruz when he said, There are more words in the IRS code than there are in the Bible. 
and not a one of them is as good. <laughs> that was just a great line. Now, I will also say that Trump came off much calmer than usual, and he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't as bombastic and attacking like usual, and, and that was nice. Well, it, it made me laugh that he, he complained about Carly Fiorina interrupting. <laughs> as if he's been the most polite candidate. Yeah. As if he hasn't literally called the woman ugly. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I, I, see, I've got to be honest. Because of Trump doing that kind of stuff, it makes me love him. And it makes me, you know, being president, probably not. But being in the public eye, I sure hope and pray so. <laughs> oh, my God. He does make me laugh, and I, I can't help it. Now, Carly, she has some good, solid lines. And uh, it's, it's still obvious she's going to be in the game for a little while, I believe. Yeah. And Rubio continues to come off as uh, presidential, to be honest. You know, um, mm. he's, he's not... He tends to be a more establishment Republican, but still manages to sound conservative enough that I think I could vote for him. Um, Kusick or Kasich, there's no way. I, 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 Get him I, out. No, no. You know, there's there's no way I could vote for him. Um, and, and some of these other ones, you know, the guy admitted he would bail out banks, <laughs> you know, which is a part of the reason we're in the mess we're in. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, is there anything else that stood out to you? One thing that I noticed that Randall, and that's one thing I'm kind of, the jury's out with me about his military spending. I understand that we need a strong military. I understand that. And um, Rubio made a lot of good points about the fact that we, America is at its best when we have the strongest military, and the world is at its best when we have our strongest military, the strongest military. Uh -huh. But uh, Rand also made some good points on it, where he said, how is it conservative to add a trillion dollar expenditure to the federal government for the military? And, um, but Rubio did have a good response where we can't even have an economy if we're not safe. Yeah. yeah. But that doesn't address the issue of we can't just add trillions of dollars in extra money when we're, we still have all this debt that we're in. We need to get rid of some of that and get that money from somewhere else. And that doesn't really address the problem. Right, right. Now, there is one thing that uh, Rubio, one of the ideas he espoused that is, uh, is dangerous when he was talking about the government needs to reimburse for child care. That oh, is. Dear. You know, uh, that is a pretty big deal. <laughs> that's another that's another government handout. And, you know, I understand that, you know, people are working and we're investing. You know, he's thinking that we're investing in the future. No, it's another government handout. And it's just going to hinder the growth of the economy, which is going to make it, it is, harder to rebuild the military. It is never the government's job to care for your children. The, Never, Thank you. never, never, never. It was your choice to have a child. You get to pay for them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, Santorum had talked about, and, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember who the other one was, but Santorum had talked several times about the need for fathers to be in homes and uh, yeah. the need for the nuclear family. And, you know, I appreciate that. And I, 
one of the things he had said was that the Republican Party needs to be the party that says this, that stands by this. And he's absolutely right. He is absolutely right. Unfortunately, he doesn't have a chance uh, or a prayer of getting elected. <laughs> yeah. you know, and he wants to raise the minimum wage, and so he's not going to have my vote anyway. But, you know, at least there is somebody saying it. Unfortunately, it's not uh, Rand Paul or Ted Cruz. <laughs> Or, you know, one of the other guys that, that got a better chance. And yeah. I, you're right. It's not the government's job to raise the family, you know. And uh, But I believe it was Rubio who talked about the – Rubio was the other one that was talking about the need for a strong family and that you take away the, the family structure when you subsidize the absence of a father, you know. So you don't have a dad – well, that's all right. We're going to give you money for it. Well, you're not married, but that's okay. We're going to give you money because you're not married. That's not good. That doesn't make any sense. That's not the government's fault that you didn't stay with your husband. Right. Right. Or that you, you got pregnant out of wedlock, you know. And exactly. it used to be that the, the dad would be forced to stick around. But shoot, who cares if the dad sticks around? If you're going to be able mm -hmm. to get a check, that's going to be as much as I get when I'm working. The government's funding abortions. Oh, goodness. Yeah. First of all, abortion is just wrong in itself because the main argument is that it's feminist and that they're supporting the rights of women. But what about the unborn women whose rights you are taking away? Thank you, Brianna. See, folks, give me just a second, Brianna. I'll get back to you in a second. See my many, many, many of you three listeners, this is why you have to listen when Brianna is on the podcast. Because Brianna is going to say things that, like, just blow your mind. What about the aborted women? <laughs> or what about their rights? You know, the woman should have the right to her body. Well, what about the, the girls, the females that have been aborted? You know, the crazy thing, I don't know if you paid attention or not, but in China, they've just upped it, or talking about upping the age, or upping the number of children that you can have. For many years, it's only been one, because, you know, they've got over a billion, and they're communists, and they can't afford to take care of more than that, of a growing population. But they just upped it to two, so that families can have two, but it hasn't been official yet. And the people are already going nuts trying to get their hands on baby formula and diapers and all all these other things because of the desire of the human nature, you know, and the desire to have a family. And here we are telling people, well, you know, if you've got two kids, well, you know, what was wrong with you? You know, and our president said that he didn't want his daughters to be burdened with having a child. You know, it, it, it's crazy, the world that we live in. Everything's backwards. There are people that go through such great lengths and costs to have a baby. And I, I understand the idea that, okay, people, but these things where it's talking about rape victims and not wanting to keep their child. Notice that this is never coming out of the mouth of a rape victim. Yeah. Ever. Right. You never hear a rape victim saying, well, I wanted to abort my child because it reminded me of my rapist. <laughs> I've, I've heard it out of the mouth of a rapist, only out of people speaking, I mean, a rapist, a victim of rape. <laughs> uh, I've only ever heard it out of the mouth of people who are speaking for them. Right. It's very true. Very true. Which, 
ironic because you only hear people for abortion who are people who have never been aborted. <laughs> I believe that or, was a, a quote from Ronald Reagan. Or who never, because there are people who um, survived abortion. And if you ever watch a video of them talking about it, that's the saddest thing you'll ever watch. Yeah. You have to live with the idea that their parents didn't want them because they were too much of a burden on them. Right, right. And every child is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Every child is a gift from God. And it's, uh, I personally believe that we, uh, as a nation, will be judged for that. And um, that and many of our other decisions. But, you know, it's. I wish I could remember who it was. Was it Carson? that went down the list of the number of people in the military committing suicide, the number of abortions. Uh, I think so. During this show, you know, there's been, uh, you know, during these two hours, this number of people have been aborted, this number of military have committed suicide. It just goes on and on down the list of the statistics. And it really gets to the heart of the issue that our nation is sick. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, and when I say sick, I, I'm not trying to be insulting, but our nation is sick in the soul, and we've mm-hmm. got to we've got to turn back. And the only way we can do that is we have to turn back to God. And that yeah. that's my personal, uh, I guess, it's the an issue of the heart. Yes, yes, absolutely, it's an issue of the heart, and and just for a nation, you know, that that as individuals we have to make up our own mind. But, uh, you know, who we vote and put in office and the rules that we're willing to live under also speak volumes for the people that we are. And, you know, we've got, it's not like a monarchy or totally like a dictatorship because we've got elections and we're voting for these people, which shows the sickness of the culture. We, we, We beg for a dictator, which is exactly what we've got and what we will continue to have until we repent. Yeah, I, I had a conversation with someone the other day, and I'm not going to say who it is, because it's someone I'm, I'm very close to. It was actually an argument. And um, <laughs> we were discussing, this This person was talking about getting a job at a daycare, the daycare that Elena works at. Uh-huh. And I, I said, well, you can't, you're not old enough. And this person said, they, and I quote, they cannot discriminate based on age. <laughs> I don't know what this person thinks every business is doing when they ask for your birth date, <laughs> but I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, they can't discriminate. It's unfair. They can't discriminate on race, gender, religious practice, or age. And I, I, I just wanted to start thinking one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> I was All like, right. what? That's great. You know, apparently they've never, heard, they've never heard of child labor laws. Which I, means you have to discriminate based on age. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, yeah, they can't discriminate. And I, I was just so confused. I was like, yes, they can. <laughs> First of all, this is a business dealing with children. If you are a child yourself, don't plan on working there. Yeah. Second of all, um, this is a privately owned business, and she goes, "It's a law. It's a law, Brianna. They have to follow it. I don't make. It, I don't make it up. It's a law." 
Oh. And I was like, oh my god. Oh, that's I, funny. That is funny. I was like, do you, do you wear a seatbelt? And she was like, sometimes. And I'm like, but that's a law. You don't get a choice. <laughs> oh, and I'm goodness. Like, not only is that the issue, but it's also an issue that you don't know your laws because that is not a law. Right, right. Oh, the but it's begging, begging for a dictator. Yes, absolutely it's, right. It's the law, Brianna. You yes. have to follow it. You know, and people always misquote the scripture and say that the Bible says obey the laws of the land. And that is yeah. nowhere in there. As a matter of fact, in the service I was in tonight, the bishop, the preacher, says that the Bible says, and I know the Bible says obey the laws of the land. So I grabbed my phone, I looked it up. Guess what? It's not in there. Don't be. <laughs> and he had just gone on and on about not putting things in the Bible that weren't in there. Well, that's something that's not in there. Don't tell me what the Bible says if the Bible doesn't say it. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Anyway, a nation that begs for a dictator. You're right. Well, I'm running out of time because we still need to go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. But thank you so much, Brian, for joining. You're welcome. All right. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. And we are back, and we're about to go through the Bible in a quadrillion years. We're in Genesis, Genesis chapter 41. We're going to pick up at verse number 26. Genesis chapter 41, verse number 26. The Bible says this, the seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. And the seven thin and ill-favored kind that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. There shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine shall consume the land. Now this is very interesting because we like to believe that God only speaks to specific people, that God only cares about, you know, well, he only talks to me. He doesn't talk to you. <laughs> and if you don't have the same relationship with God that I have, then surely the Lord's not going to speak to you. He's only going to speak to me. But here is Pharaoh of Egypt who is not Jewish, who is heathen, who you can't become or, or be a bigger sinner. But yet God will speak to him and give him insight. And God speaks to him and gives him insight, but he's got to call on somebody that's got a connection to the Lord and somebody that can interpret what the Lord is trying to say. And so we're picking this up, verse 26, he goes through and now... It's being described by Joseph exactly what the Lord is trying to convey. The seven good kind are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. So you're looking at one seven-year period of time. The seven thin and ill-favored kind, that remember that's basically cattle or cows. The seven 
thin and ill-favored cows that came up after them are seven years. So you got seven years that's going to be followed by seven years, 20, or 14 years combined. And the seven empty ears blasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. So now Joseph is making this apparent. He's making it clear. I'm about to tell you what the Lord has been trying to speak to you. The Lord has been trying to speak to you, but your heart, your mind is not where it can convey, where it can comprehend. And so this is where I come in. I'm going to convey to you some of the things that the Lord is trying to say to you, and I'm going to make it understandable for you. This is the one thing I've spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. So God showed you, Pharaoh, what he was about to do. Behold, there came up seven years of great plenty, or there's going to come up. There's going to come up seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. So it's going to be so bad, you're going to forget how good it was. Does that not explain most of our lives on a day-by-day -day basis, or maybe year-by-year? Because one day everything could be great and beautiful, but then just one day comes out of the blue. We get Maybe it's a telephone call. It, it could be all kinds of different things. Maybe we're sick. And all of a sudden, all the greatness that was just the day before is completely gone. So, <laughs> so this is exactly the same situation. But the seven years of plenty are going to be forgotten about during the drought. Nobody's going to remember when we had an abundance because the drought's going to be so bad. There shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land. So it's not going to recognize the Hebrews now make their way during this famine. They make their way to Egypt. They have come. They're going to come to Joseph and bow down to him just like Joseph's dream was. So it, when he says the land, he's not speaking solely about Egypt. But he's talking about a drought or a famine that's going to be pervasive, that's going to cover everywhere. And people are going to come from far and wide for the deliverance of this drought. Now, the crazy thing is God has orchestrated this. <laughs> God didn't orchestrate this just when Pharaoh had the dream. God did not orchestrate this when the butler remembered Joseph. God did not orchestrate. Can I tell you when God orchestrated this? The Lord orchestrated this going all the way back to when Joseph had the dream of his brethren bowing down to him. The Lord knows the beginning from the end. So whenever the Lord uh, decided to plan it out and to do it, it was already in progress. And while Joseph is in prison, the Lord already knows you're going to be in a palace before long. And I'm going to use you for the deliverance of your brethren. I'm going to use you to bless. I'm going to use you. I'm going to give a dream to Pharaoh that he won't be able to interpret. And the magicians won't be able to interpret. So that you can find the place that I have called you. That I have chosen you to be at. And now the famine is going to come. It is setting up so that God... Now, let me spend just a little more time talking about the famine. Because we can look at the famine and talk about what a curse, what a mean, cruel thing it was. 
whether or not we recognize it, the famine was God's plan. The famine, the drought, was the workings of the Lord. I don't understand why God works out things the way he does. It's beyond me why and how he does it. But it's not up to me to understand. It's up to me to be obedient. It wasn't up to Joseph to tell him, hey, uh, go eat. It wasn't up to Joseph to control the outcome. It was simply up to Joseph to tell Pharaoh what the dream meant. It's not up to me and you what God, you know, we, we could have cursed God because of the drought. We could have been angry. We could have been frustrated. But why not just listen to the voice of the Lord and interpret the dream that he's given us or the interpretation and act on that? Because no doubt the dream is God's preparation for what we need. Pharaoh's got a dream that God's going to use. And God's going to use it not only for Pharaoh, not only for Egypt, but for the Hebrews. God's going to use it to bless everybody. You may possibly have a dream. Your dream's not just for you. Your dream may be how God's going to use you. But God will use your dream to his glory if you care enough to yield it to him. If you care enough to say it's not mine, it's the Lord's. And so I place it into your hands. Pharaoh, you may have a dream. and You won't be able to interpret it, but there is a dreamer. There is a dreamer out there that has an understanding and interpretation that you desperately need. If you are that dreamer, when the day is called and the day comes, and you're called before your own personal Pharaoh, don't try to evacuate and don't try to give false pretense answers. Instead, just simply give what the Lord has given you. And he will, because he always has, he will bring it to pass because he's not a man that he should lie. You just be obedient to what the Lord has given. I've run out of time. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you later.